Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. This week, we're talking about cyber racism, what it is, how it works, who's most affected by it, and what kinds of responses have been mobilized to fight it. I'm John Langer, and this is Communication Mixdown. An important and maybe even a groundbreaking book on cyber racism has just been published, and all the research for the book was done here in Australia. I think that's a really important thing to consider in our discussion coming up. The book's called Cyber Racism and Community Resilience, Strategies for Combating Online Race Hate. One of the book's key contributors is here with us in the studios. Studio, she's Nasha Baffin, and she works in the Department of Communication and Media at La Trobe University and has a special interest in media and social diversity across cultures. Welcome to the show, and thanks for your time. John, uh, thank you very much for the invitation. Always happy to speak to 3CR. That's great. And uh, I wanted to start by talking a little bit about the book and and what it's focused on. It highlights cyber racism as an ever-growing contemporary phenomenon, and it argues that national governments and tech companies that provide the social media platforms being used by cyber racists are struggling to keep up. Let's start right from the very start. When we're talking about cyber racism, what, what is it and what are the different ways that cyber racism manifests itself online? Um, earlier, uh, just before the program, you and I were talking about how this book is part of a series um, from the publisher, and the series is actually uh, called The Hate Series, which sounds quite um, quite confronting. It is a series that looks at manifestations of hate, um, not just through the media, but through different, um, you know, different aspects of that hate. A lot of the publications in this series actually focus on other parts of the world, so mainly the United States and also in Europe. Um, there hasn't been a lot of study into how hate has manifested in Australia. Uh, so our book looks particularly at our research into how that hate manifests itself through digital media and particularly social media. Um, our premise is that... Um, Basically, the, these institutions that offer these services, so your Facebooks, your Googles, your um, YouTube, all of those sorts of companies, as well as existing law in Australia, specifically in, 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 in an Australian context, they're playing catch up. So they're playing catch up with the changes in communication that have taken place as a, as a result of the media becoming more uh, technologically 
um, driven and as uh, as a result of the user base and, and the, the, the group of people who can create media and who, cre- who can create content um, as a result of digital media and social networks, that base has grown. But with it has, has come along the chance to amplify views which were, you know, in, in the days prior to the internet, these sorts of views were probably restricted to your drunk uncle at the wedding or people who wouldn't feel comfortable expressing um, these types of views outside of maybe their mates at the pub. Mm. So our, our premise is that the way that we communicate has changed because of um, social media and social media has exacerbated and amplified uh, the views of fringe groups and a whole variety of hate then becomes amplified and it becomes normalised and people think it's okay to express some of these things Um Coupled with uh, one particular area that we look at in the book is the notion of media literacy, um, and that's set against – we don't specifically look at this in the book, but it's set against the context of um, there's a lot politically at stake for Australia to um, to push up its scores in the area of STEM – so science, technology, engineering and mathematics, and there's a push for Australia to catch up to, to other countries, to other similar countries, so yeah. OECD countries, first world countries. We're a little behind in that. So there is a push to, to focus on that. Unfortunately, media literacy hasn't uh, been the beneficiary of such encouragement and it is uh, – STEM. look, STEM is important, absolutely, mm, mm. but as – Academics working mainly in humanities and social sciences, um, the authors of the book, in, in sociology. Uh, some of us are in psychology as well. Mm. But um, as people who don't work in STEM, we come from, I guess, the jumping off point for us is we do need to focus more on media literacy as well because it's something that um, today's generation of young people mm-hmm. are growing up with. And it, it's a problem that we see throughout the world. We could argue that a lack of media literacy um, you know, it was one of the reasons for the situation that we see in the White House today. You know, and the and that that happens in in neighbouring countries as well. In mm. in Indonesia, most recently, with the very divisive um, elections for governor of Jakarta, yes, fueled fueled by a lot of uh, questionable information yep. sources that were just shared, you know, yes. widely in, yes. in a country that uses social media. So that was sort of the the background of of the book, uh, the premise that. Our media literacy coupled with the advancements in technology that have resulted in these previously quite marginal views, Mm. quite extremist and quite, um, you know, incredibly hateful views now have a wider audience. And it's easy in a lot of cases to um, hide behind a cloak of anonymity. Um, And we look at how um, we look at the role of the big social network providers. I just want to ask uh, to. If we were going to, let's say we are actually going to come across this cyber cyber racism, where would we find it? What, I mean, not to go into sort of detail, but how does it manifest itself? Like where where do you, where do you sort of encounter it? Clearly, it's on Facebook, but do people? I mean, tell tell us how what what you explored. What we found was a game of cat and mouse being played by groups that espouse these views. So, for example, if you take a look at um, white supremacist groups or if you take a look at um, 
more sort of fringe or more extreme sort of religious groups, they tend to play cat and mouse with the social network providers. So they'll, they'll chug along relatively an- anonymously and they'll build followers. Eventually one of the followers um, will have a falling out with some other people within the group um, for a variety of reasons or somebody who dislikes what the what the views of the group um, represent will report them to, to Facebook or to whatever social network um, is is in charge um, the we found that social networks tend to be incredibly arbitrary about what they enforce and what they don't enforce mm-hmm. um, part of the research looks at how um, hate uh, expressions of hate actually you know in many cases they contravene the terms of service on on these social network sites but the social network sites are incredibly arbitrary so you might get some luck if um, let's say 100 people report a certain page then that makes them take notice the page gets taken down but the same people will then set up alternative accounts and so that's what um, yeah so that's basically where you're finding a lot of this Um, we know that uh, other network social networks such as twitter um, have been the subject of um you know, have been the subject of a lot of criticism over their inability to, to clamp down on this type of behaviour. They've had to make some change, changes and adjustments yeah, to I'm, their service. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you about that yeah. in, a, in as we as we discuss stuff and definitely come back to that. But what I w- wanted to ask is uh, the book is based, as I understand it, on some research that was done in New South Wales and in Victoria. Been going on since 2013. That's it's a fairly long term project, which has manifested itself in this book. Tell us a bit about the research, because I understand you did a survey, and uh, the survey was well revealing, and there were lots of interesting things that came out of it. What, tell us a bit, bit about the survey. I think the big uh, the big takeaway from the survey was the notion of uh, f- flashpoints. So, if there is something in mainstream media that um, creates a bit of a furor or creates a lot of attention or draws a lot of attention to a particular cause, then you'll find something called a cyber swarm. And so a cyber swarm is where people, proponents of a particular view, then all rally around a cause. And so uh, one of my colleagues uh, who worked on this from a sort of psych background, a psychology Mm -hmm. background, uh, found that this was the case where you had um, cases like Adam Goods, the Indigenous footballer, um, subject to a whole, um, you know, a whole heap of quite you know, quite mm-hmm. disgusting, mm-hmm. quite um, mm-hmm. uh, offensive sort of uh, treatment. And when that happened, um, even though mainstream media curiously was, you know, through its weight behind the player and institutions like the AFL and the, you know, major newspapers splashed him across, you know, the front page and supported him, the the mood or the feeling on social media was was the opposite you know mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. absolute some horrible stuff i can't even yep. you know repeat yep, them yep, to you yep, sure, um, the sort of things that were you know that were directed at at this man who is you know who was an australian of the year who was a leader on and off the yep, field yep. but where you would find the most virulent comments against him was not actually in the mainstream media yes. it was through the anonymity of social media it brings to mind uh, it's, it's something from my media studies background that, what used to be called the an alternative public sphere, and yeah. uh, clearly that's that's part of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, look, there's this sort of thing raises so many interesting questions, including 
could you know could um, the rise of uh, neo Nazis in in this century could that have taken place without the internet? Could groups like Al Qaeda exist mm-hmm. you know without without the um, help mm-hmm. of the internet? Mm-hmm. ISIS you know um, it's it's fascinating and, and also scary at the same time to think that they do amplify these views and to think that these views are in a way normalized. And uh, again, I want to stress the point about the book. It's it, The research was it was written by and researched by people in Australia. The book was specifically about Australia. I think that in, in itself brings some very interesting things and makes the book quite important in that sense. I want to turn to your own work because your own work is... We've been talking a fairly a lot of negative stuff, but your own work is is interesting because the way you describe it, it's building. I'll just use your words: building community resilience against online cyber racism. And you were looking specifically at a couple of case studies. I was really interested in the the Muslim Women's Association in Sydney and their mobilization online about something that happened. Tell us about what happened and how it all mm. came about. Um, as you say, uh, John, it, it took place over a number of years. So a few years ago when this first sort of began to be a thing that there were these um, uh, these groups that were mobilising against, um, against what they perceived to be um, treatment that was discrimina- discriminatory in favour of Muslims. So if that makes sense, yeah. Yes, yes. It's um, a warped kind of, of yep, logic, yep. but that's um, they, they thought the pendulum had swung too far and um, offering... Um, you know these what we would see as equal rights to to Muslim Australians they viewed as taking away some of their rights so they they started to mobilize uh, you know a whole heap of um, campaigning took place against things like halal food against things like um, you know wearing the niqab or the burqa the different manifestations of Muslim women's clothing and we've known for a very long time that historically every time a terror attack takes place by some group which has a warped interpretation of Islam the people who bear the brunt of that in Western countries like Australia, and studies have found that this is this is the case in Australia as well, the people who bear the brunt of that are the people who are visibly Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so a recurring theme that we would find in the... Um, you know, in the discourse about this, is that uh, being bigoted or being prejudiced towards Muslims on social media couldn't count as racism because Islam is not a race. That kept coming up, right? So Islam is not a race. Islam is not a race. And people would say things like, well, you know, how, Islam actually covers many different types of races. And you think to yourself, well, you know, no kidding, you know, um, mm, absolutely. Mm. Who do you think gets pulled up for random explosives tests at the airport? It's not going to be the, the Bosnian or the Albanian or mm, the mm. Anglo-Muslim convert, you know. It's it's going to be the Nigerian guy. It's going to be the, mm, mm. Um, you know, the Arab-looking uh, woman or man. Um, so a lot of the bigotry, Islam may not be a race, but we found that a lot of the prejudice towards Islam is, is racialized. Um, so it was in this sort of atmosphere, people mobilizing against mosques. There was a mosque being built in, um, talk of a mosque being built in Bendigo. Yes, uh, all of that. Is yeah, very all of that was sort of yes, happening. Yes. And um, it was during that time, again, that falls back on the media literacy too, because all of the um, the crap that was being spread about the mosque being made to hold like yeah. thousands of people, yes, when in yes. actual fact it was for a small Muslim community mm-hmm. in, in Bendigo. Um, anyway, against against this backdrop, you had a group of people called um, who na- styled themselves Reclaim Australia, which is incredibly yep, 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 yep. ironic. Give, you know, I'd like to know what a lot of Indigenous Australians mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. about that that name of yes. Reclaiming Australia. But this this particular group decided to harass 
harass and intimidate, uh, of course, Muslim women because they are visibly seen as manifestations mm-hmm. of Islam in the country. So this campaign involved intimidating them, taking photos of them on the train and then putting them up on Facebook groups to mock and to make threats against. And some of these threats were really, really violent. You know, we're talking um, sexual assault. We're talking, sure. Yeah, so that sort of campaign took place. Now... Um, contrary to what a lot of people will tell you, there's actually quite a bit of cooperation between different religious groups in, in Australia. Yes, so yes. there's a lot of interfaith work, yep, you know, yep. between different um, um, Christian groups. Yep, and, I'm aware of yeah. that. Yep, so yep. Um, in addition to consulting with um, Jewish groups who have had to deal with this um, kind of thing, the Muslim Women's Association really tried to look at I mean, to their credit, they try to um, keep themselves up to date with all of this technology. They worked with um, various Muslim um, high-profile sort of Muslim activists, um, people who were active on, on social networks, um, and tried to formulate a guide for the people who had been affected by this. And in terms of being affected by it, psych- you can imagine the psychological mm-hmm, harm absolutely. of some of these yep, uh, yep. women. Um and eventually they, they worked on it on, on various fronts. So where I talk about building resilience is we've never taken the position that we want to clamp down on freedom of speech. We would rather empower the communities that are affected by this mm, hatred mm. To, to either fight back or to look at the resources that they um, you know that they deserve as a result of being victimized by. These. Were they were they doing specifically things online as well? Is that um, part of the response? Yes. So part of the response was to try and um, so, for instance, uh, promote uh, educating people about who to report things to. Yes. As well as uh, approaching the the relevant authorities, and that was one of the the things that we found uh, throughout the course of the research for the book. We're using pre-internet laws to police this type of thing. And it's incredibly hard because we have different perceptions to things. We have different approaches legally as well to issues like freedom of speech. We're Mm -hmm. not the US and we don't have um, a bill of rights. So we've tried to approach it in terms of breaking the terms of service of uh, of a particular um, internet uh, social provider. So we we try and approach it from that uh, way and we always encourage people to report. So we've set up... um, well, I didn't do it, but uh, members of the community uh, in this instance set up a, a register. Yes. So people who are um, who are the victims, they, they're advised to screenshot any of these things. Yes, they're yes. advised to block yep. the users. So just um, they invested in a lot of sort of education and of, yes. of how to react if you are the victim very of this. Yeah, very, yeah. very interesting. And so we um, there was a lot of education that was put forward by the Muslim Women's, of, uh, Women's Association of Australia, which is almost like um, – I suppose it's pioneering work that they've done because they can continually very, build yeah, on yeah, that. Yeah, very interesting. Mm. Let me give you a break, and we'll take a no we'll we'll take a take a promo. Tilda is Melbourne's trans and gender diverse film festival, created to showcase and support the work of trans and gender diverse filmmakers, along with works that have trans and gender diverse content. Join Tilda at the Footscray Community Arts Centre, October 26th to 29th, for our 2017 festival, filled with cinema, community and celebration. Head to tildemelbourne.com for program details and tickets. That's T-I-L-D-E, melbourne.com, a 3CR supporter. And you're with Communication Mixdown. Our guest this week is senior lecturer in the Department of Communication and Media at La Trobe University, University, Nasha Baffin. And she's talking about her research on cyber racism and some of the community responses. 
Nasha, I wanted to just continue a little bit with the community responses. There's a number of things which actually I got. I have to confess, I didn't know about. There's something that's called. I have to refer to it here in my notes. The Office of East. The Office Office of the E Safety Commissioner. And there's another group organization called the Online Hate Prevention Institute. These these are places where you're saying, or what you're talking about community responses. These are a couple of things that have been set up. I don't know how recent these things are. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering about your take on this. Do you think these things are um, are they useful? Are they are they going to be successful realistically? Mm-hmm. Let's start with the Online Hate Prevention Institute because uh, the head of that um, organisation has been sort of working in this space for for a few years now, ever since the rise of, um, you know, the rise of social media and the rise accompanying rise in in hate content on um, sites such as network, such as um, Facebook and so on. Uh, His name is Andre Obola and he's one of the other researchers and one of the other authors of this book. Um, And Andre was um, incredibly helpful in sharing with us his extensive research in this area over a long, uh, over a large number of time, um, over a, a sort of a lengthy period of time. And what he's what he's found is is an incredible sort of body of work where he's documented uh, the different groups that are subject to this hate. And he has um, almost got an archive of uh, responses to hate, how effective they are. And he has a whole heap of stuff that he brought to the book. But also, and this is all in an in an Australian context. But he's also looking, obviously, at models overseas. Mm. Um, he looks at the success of places such as the Southern Poverty Law Centre, which tracks hate in the US, and how successful they've been in mapping hate. Um, in terms of, it's it's a really good question that you're asking, John. In terms of how effective groups like Andres are, um, I think they serve an incredibly important purpose because. Mm. This is not something that will be spoken about, say, in, in mainstream media. You know, this yeah, is not abso- something that... Absolutely not. So I think it's useful if only, you know, if only to, to actually act as a record of this, this sort of thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it serves as, a, I guess, a resource because once you work um, or research in that space, Andre then makes uh, contact with other community groups. He happens to be Jewish in, in background, but he'll obviously make contact with any group that he sees as the, you know, has having been subject mm. to hate. And so what then happens is almost like a very... It's almost a very, very grassroots sort of network of people working against this sort of thing. And they have, obviously, they, they get very little funding, although Andre's work is, you know, the Online Hate Prevention Institute's work is getting more of a profile. Um, and they're eventually getting more attention and more much badly needed resources. What about the Office of the E-Safety Commissioner? Okay, so this that is, is, this a is a government. government. Yeah, so that's a, a public sort of organisation. That was initially set up with the um, with a brief to, to help younger Australians. So it's a place where young people can turn to if they happen to be the victims of cyberbullying. Now, that's all sorts of cyberbullying. It could be exclusion, the sorts of things that they go through in, in high school. Sure. But it is also a place to turn to, and it's one of the places that groups like the Muslim Women's Association of Australia advise their members to make a report to. Mm. So it's one of several places where you need to document the report and screenshot it. And when you are the subject of this type of hate, it can be quite 
bruising to, to actually remember that. Sure. So it's got a very clunky name, but I applaud the sort of the motives behind yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, to provide resources and referrals and, you know, um, links to, th- to things like counselling, link- links yep. to, to places where you can young people can feel a little bit more We'll put all these details on our, our Facebook mm, page. Absolutely. Uh, no, uh, sorry, our website. website. We haven't got a Facebook page, but yeah. we should have. Uh, we'll put it on our website. Because again, as I said before, uh, this, these are these are new things to me. But I think they should be really much more, more widely, widely mm. known about. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, we also does one of the things that we discovered uh, too was that it's not something that a lot of people are comfortable talking about. So if they've been subject to, for instance, they've put up a discussion on, say, the Channel Nine or the Age, um, you know, Facebook page, where um, there'll be a video and then they'll comment on the video. And if they, their name or their profile picture marks them as different, for instance, they might then be subject to a whole heap of um, yep. irrelevant sort of yep. A- yep. attacks, um, which have nothing to do with the actual story that they were commenting on. Sure. And so what that gives rise to is feelings of obviously exclusion, you know, uh, questioning whether or not am I Australian, do I fit in here, sure. you know. Sure. And so um, when that sort of thing happens um, – we definitely need, you know, a lot more education. And they're doing this in schools, which is a good thing. Yes. But um, it doesn't obviously occur to people to maybe Google this and, you know, and say, where can I go to for help? Because you're feeling, you know, that has an effect on you psychologically. It says, um, you know, it, it... for, for people who've maybe researched this, it's probably more water off a duck's back because they're used to the... Mm-hmm. But if mm-hmm. you're somebody who's got, just going about your daily life and you see a story that you're interested in on one of the Facebook pages of, say, you know, mainstream media, you just make a harmless comment and then suddenly there are these threats against your children, your wife, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, at, I know. against I... Your, your very identity, then you're not... Mm-hmm. You're not likely to be aware of places that you can turn to for yes, help. Yes. And they, they do tend to be... Um, you know, as you say, they they do tend to be just things that people refer each other to. So let's say your friend has been subject mm, to this mm. uh, type of hate. You might say, you know, they might go along to a school counsellor. The school counsellor might know of somebody from the Islamophobia Register mm, and, mm. or he or she might know of the Online Hate Prevention Institute and they'll say, okay, that's what you should, you know, they're the people that you need to speak to. I've got so many more questions to ask you, but you know what? We're coming just about to the end of our show and... Uh, it's been great talking to you, actually, really interesting. And I, I hope, in fact, we can get you back to follow up a oh, little I'd, bit. I'd be more than a- happy a- to, absolutely, to come back. There's many things that we need to get through. We didn't talk about the companies that run these things. And there's, there's even bigger questions about, you know, you've raised them issues about free speech and how do you distinguish between free speech and hate speech and cyber racism and so on. Very complicated questions, but that's why we're going to get you back. Our special guest tonight, Nasha Baffin, and she works in the Department of Communication and Media at La Trobe University. The book is called Cyber Racism and Community Resilience, Strategies for Combating Online Race Hate. It's published by Palgrave. Probably cost a bomb because it's an academic book. It does, but um, we know but that a lot of libraries, libraries are getting a, it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll put the details on our website. And Nata- uh, Nasha, uh, Nasha, Nasha. Oh, yeah, I've messed your name up again. Almost. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, she's one of the main contributors, and I want to thank her once again for being on uh, Communication Mixdown. That's it for us this week. Uh, We'll be here next time. Speak to you then.